while you're standing. Crooked notes. While you're standing, I just want to maybe probably most of all of us in this room probably <laughs> have this verse memorized. Uh, Hebrews 11 and 6. Why don't we say it together? But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Pray with me. Thank you, Lord God, today for being in this house amongst us. Thank you for coming here with us, God, and speaking to us. Jesus, we love and praise you and thank you for this service. Time spent together and in your presence, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. You could be seated today. We have talked a lot about faith lately. Praise the Lord. Over the last two and a half months, we've got many different angles and um, been fed, and it has been very evident that God has been just building and building and building, and it's because of the faith preaching. And um, people are doing stuff they wouldn't normally do. People are worshiping maybe like they might not have normally done. And I want to talk about another little facet here of faith. And like to call it radical faith, our faith maybe above that's required, I don't know. People who did things that have not been done before were seen in the scriptures all over. And I believe that God is an extravagant God, and He hasn't run out of things up His sleeve. Like I, I like to say, God has a very long sleeve. He's got a lot of stuff up there that He has not done before. And, and if He asks you to do something that seems a little cray-cray, in our own minds, praise God. Somebody said this, there are three voices that speak. The first one is God. The second one is us trying to say, well, was that really you, God? And then, and then, the, then the enemy chimes in. But I'm talking about radical faith tonight. Many times a thought from God comes to us and it doesn't really make a whole lot of natural sense to us. And um, if, you've, if you've not been here very much, we've, we've covered faith in a lot of ways. So please don't think I'm trying to cover it in its entirety night in any way. I'm just trying to talk about one facet. Praise God. When all natural circumstances say no, radical faith steps in and says, I can do that. Praise God. Let me put these mud balls in your eyes, and you'll see. That's radical. Go down to the river and dip seven times, and your leprosy will be gone. 
That's radical. Cry out at the top of your lungs to stop Jesus in his tracks so you can have your eyes healed. That's radical. Go down to the brook, and I'm going to feed you by the beak of a raven. <laughs> you got to have radical faith to go along with a plan like that. Throw your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll catch a lot of fish. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. If you ever fished all day on a boat, somebody said, oh, if you just go over there, you're going to throw your net in there. You're going to catch a hundred and some odd fishes, 153, I think it was. Takes a little bit of radical faith to believe that you can change the side of the boat and it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be good. David go up against a giant and here just use that little string and that little rock there. <laughs> you wanna talk about some faith. Hey uh, Abraham, you're gonna have a baby at a hundred years old. Your wife Sarah. Shoo! Father of the faithful, right? Go up and offer your son, Abraham, or in other words, kill and burn your son, Abraham. Well, now, to go through with that takes a whole lot of radical faith. Praise God. Just touch the hem of His garment. Find the hem of His garment and you'll be healed. There's something about radical faith and desperation. They meet together. They are inseparable. As a matter of fact, if we're not involved in radical, radical faith, it may be because our level of desperation is low. God doesn't speak uh, to people things of radical faith who are not desperate to have radical faith. People get hungry. People that get hungry to see things happen. To see souls saved. Open themselves up for opportunities of radical faith. People that get hungry, I should say that again, <laughs> open themselves up for God to speak into their spirit. I don't know about you, but many of the times that God spoke to people in Scripture to do something out of the ordinary, or many times when they did things out of the ordinary, God had spoken to them to do it. It doesn't always say it, but when Peter got out of the boat that day, I believe there was a whisper in his ear, just ask if you can get out of the boat. If, if, if that's you, Lord, let me get out of the boat. <clears throat> you can't make, naturally speaking, a lot of sense out of this stuff. Praise God. But through the eyes of radical faith, when, when the answer comes, it begins to make a lot of sense. David had this idea of going down to the host of Saul. Now this was the last time David had an encounter with Saul. Last time David would see the face of Saul alive. But David had this idea he was being pursued by a man who would be his cold-blooded killer if he would have allowed him to be. 
And David turns back and sends spies to the camp of Saul. And I'm thinking to myself, why would you do that? And he goes back, and they, they go back to where Saul is. They're on the side of a mountain, and Saul and his army are in, down in the valley. And David said, Who, who's going to go with me down to the host of, of, of Saul? And he asks a couple guys, and one guy pipes up and says, I'll go with you. His name was Abishai, one of the Zeruiah brothers, <laughs> one of Joab's siblings. And uh, he said, I'll go. And I know exactly what Abishai was thinking, Brother Brad. <laughs> he was thinking, when I get down there, I'm going to stick a sword in this dude and get this over with. That was what he had on his mind. But uh, David just didn't have that on his mind. I, I, you know, you, you can't even make sense of this. This is, this is cray cray. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Why would you go down to the camp of a man who would be your cold-blooded killer? I don't know. Except that David wanted to please God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. David went down to please God what he did. Praise God. And so they got down there and he had to deter Abishai from doing what he wanted to do. And then, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. He had to seek opportunity though. David sought opportunity to please his God. People of radical faith Look for opportunities to have radical faith. They're looking for it. They're, they're walking through the grocery store looking for somebody that looks at them sideways so they can talk to them. They're looking, Brother Bryant, for a man. Maybe, maybe you weren't looking for him. I don't know, but you found him. And you, and, you, and you went over to him and you began to talk to him. And, and right there in the store begins to pray with a man who would come to church here. And I, that's the kind of radical faith right there that we're talking about. Praise God. David talks, uh, or David, David involves Abishai in his, in his faith, in his radical faith. In, in, the, in, the, in the case of, of, of David and Goliath, David went out on his own and, and maybe that's the way it was supposed to be. But now David later on in life and a few years of, of battles and, and, and a bunch of years of being chased, uh, he, he, he decides to involve. And he's got this group of men who are very involved and are what they are largely because of the radical faith of David. Oh, uh, yeah. You've got giant killers. And you know, you've got, the, you've got your Adino who went out and with, at one time with a sword in his hand killed 800 men. You've got your Benaiahs who are lion slayers and lion-like men slayers and, and the killing giants. And all because they were following the lead of a man with radical faith. 
praise God. And, and, and they would seek to please David by doing what they did. First Chronicles 12 and 18, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Amasa, who was the chief of the captain. And he said, Thine are we, David. And on thy side, thou son of Jess, peace, peace be unto thee, and peace be to thine helpers. For thy God helpeth thee. Then David received them and made them captains of the band. You can read of a list of men who David affected with radical faith. Hallelujah. Remember that as, as a parent. That remember that they need to see you reaching out and talking to people. If you're not a parent, but you're somebody that influences people, they need to see you having radical faith. Piping, starting up conversations with folks and just acting like and not just acting like but caring about people having a spirit of compassion about us praise God hallelujah Peter <laughs> Peter was definitely a man of radical faith People of radical faith think about radical things. <laughs> Peter has an idea one day. Cray, cray. <laughs> I'm going to get out of the boat. And I think Jesus gave him the idea. Like I said before. I'm going to get on the water and I'm going to walk to Jesus. That's radical faith. The thing about, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Here I go, keep trying to get ahead of myself. You don't have to do all kind of crazy worship. You don't have to run around the church. You don't have to raise your hands and hoop and holler. That's what the devil wants to tell us. Oh, come on. God looks for such things. God looks for such things. Radical faith makes more sense to God than to us. It's a clear signal for His often immediate response. The Bible says that he is the author of faith. Why, don't we, why, why, why wouldn't he be the finisher of faith? If he gives us a thought and we act upon it. If he ever puts something in our mind to do by faith, why wouldn't he finish it? We've got to think outside of the box. Outside of these four walls. Church isn't really church if the church isn't being the church on the outside of the church. All we have is just people meeting and trying to fluff off a little guilt. But if the church is the church on the outside, then we can really have some church. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The Bible says, actually I think I'm going to skip ahead here. Praise God. Luke 22 and 31 and 32. <clears throat> if you can, well, that's right. It's down here. <laughs> the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. Praise God. Satan was after Peter's radical faith. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen 
the brethren. I have prayed for your faith to fail not. Go beyond normal. Normal. Go beyond the normal. Go beyond the normal. You understand, Satan, Satan saw something in Peter. I believe it's in every one of us. He, if he sees any kind of faith in you, he's going to try to take it somehow. Praise God. Praise God. People who started out right with faith ended right. David who killed a lion, a bear, and Goliath. And he was the king of Israel. Daniel wouldn't eat the king's meat. He wasn't food for lion. Samuel kept, kept the word of God while he was young and not one of his words fell to the ground. Elijah burst on the scene, not being the descendant of anyone important, and had a ministry of fire and was taken in a chariot of fire. And I could go on, but I'm out. Brother Brad, come on. Hallelujah. Jesus' name. Praise the Lord, everybody. How many of you have radical faith? I know that's hard to admit sometimes. Sometimes it's like we have no faith at all. And sometimes we're more reluctant just to admit, I don't have any faith in this situation. I just don't feel like I have any hope. I don't feel like I can see the outcome. I don't feel like, I don't feel like there's anything good going to come of this. Because we just can't see past our dilemma. We really can't see past our storm, past our problem. Radical faith takes radical prayer. Radical faith takes someone dedicated enough to say, I may be going through hell right now, but I've got something. I have to touch the throne. I can't just sit here and let it happen to me. Thank you, brother, for that radical faith. Radical faith. Amen. You don't have to stand for the reading, but I'm going to read a little lengthy chapter here, Acts 27. I'm going to read verses 1 through 31, so bear with me for just a few, few moments. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band, and entering into a ship of a very long name I can't pronounce, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us, and the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go out unto his friends to refresh himself. And he was a prisoner, okay? He was a prisoner that most of the time that just wouldn't happen. You wouldn't just let him go out, be free without supervision without a guard, without something, some sort of tie. But he had the favor of the Lord, Brother Poyle, he did. He had the favor of God with him, even though he was in probably one of the toughest situations he would face as of this point in his life. He was very, very much under the favor of God. And that's many of us today, we may be in a storm, but we're still under the favor of God. We may be under a very hard trial, but we thank goodness we still have the favor of God in our life because I can guarantee we wouldn't make it without the favor of God. Amen. And when, he, he, when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the Sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. 
And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. Somebody say, he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Sindus and the wind suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon, and hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. Paul stood forth to speak to them. Paul wanted their attention. Paul may have been a prisoner, but he was still operating under the Holy Ghost, under what God had in, in it, in put into him. <clears throat> and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also. If by any means they might attain to Phinis and there to winter, which is in haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. He was trying to say was the, the boat wasn't really comfortable enough to keep all these prisoners in such a great storm. He was saying, if we can just make it to land, we can just make it to this little haven over here, we can, we can hunker down and weather the storm, is what he was trying to say. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind, verse 14, called Euroclidon, and when the ship was caught and could not bear up under the wind, we let her drive, and running under a certain island, which is called Claudia, we had much work to come by the boat which when they had taken up, they used helps under, undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. Somebody say they lightened the ship. For the next few minutes, I'd like to talk about weights and anchors. Weights and anchors. I know it doesn't sound like a hooping and hollering type of message, hooping and hollering type of night, but that's okay. We're going to let the Holy Ghost speak to us about something that I believe is for somebody or multiple somebodies in the house tonight. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. God is good to us. Amen. Amen. Being in the middle of the sea, you'll find that truly you are at the mercy of the sea itself. Storms can arise in an instant, often giving no warning at all. I've had the privilege myself of being in many different types of boats, different types of water atmospheres. I am by no means a sailor. I am by no means know what I'm doing on the water, but I have had the, the privilege of being out there among people who did know how to handle the water at the times. But I've been in storms where you thought, okay, if we can just make it to land, we'll be okay. And I've been in one storm where I thought, dear God of heaven, don't let me go down in this raft. Don't let me go down out here because the waves were overcoming. And it felt like there was more water in the boat than there was outside the boat. How many know what I'm talking about? When life hits you from every side, every angle, and you are just holding on for dear life because there's nothing you can do. You're at the mercy of the storm. Some seas were calm, some seas were wild, some seas overtake the boat, some seas were calm and peaceful. But there's always a time when you're at the mercy of the maker of the sea. 
You're at the mercy of the storm and the person who created the storm. The the psalmist wrote at one point, he has his way in the whirlwind. He has his way in the wind. At many times we get into a serious situation in life, we immediately turn to God and say, why why me? What's going on? Why are you letting this happen? And God is saying, you just be quiet, son. You just be quiet, daughter, and you hold on. It's my way. I'm going to have my way in this. Praise God. Praise God. Waves crashing on every side. How many of you know what it's like to be in a storm for real? I'm not talking about lightning and thunder. I'm not talking about high winds. I'm not talking about heavy rain or heavy snow. I'm talking about where life, if if it doesn't take you under, it's a complete miracle. I'm talking about storms that we seem to be facing on a daily basis. Some come one after the other, one after the other. I just get my head above water and another wave takes me under. I just seem to be able to finally get my feet under myself and all of a sudden another wave hits me from the other side and takes me out. I'm talking about stuff in our own personal lives. I'm talking about stuff at work. I'm talking about stuff with family or in your marriage or with your children or with your spouse. I'm talking about storms that would like to destroy you. He mentioned a minute ago, Simon, he wanted to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you. I held fast for you. You know what? Sometimes we are the only reason we're here is because somebody prayed for you. Somebody fasted for you. Somebody held on to an altar and said, they're not doing it, but I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to hold fast. Somebody anchored down in the middle of a storm for you. Praise God. Weights and anchors. How many times in the middle of a storm? If you read on in that chapter, and I'll do it for, I won't do it for time's sake, but if you continue to read in Acts chapter 27, and I urge you to do so so you can see it for yourself, uh, but if you continue to read, it talks about when the storm began to really overtake them, somebody spoke up and said, we're, we're too heavy. We need to start throwing stuff overboard. We need to lighten the load is what he was saying. Many times in life, we need to lighten the load. We need to let some things go. We need to let something out of the boat before we capsize, before we're taken under. Storms weren't made so we could carry our problems through them. Storms were made so that when we come through the other side, we're free of those things. We're no longer bound by those things. Let him have his way in the whirlwind. Praise God. But somebody decided we need to get rid of some stuff. How many of you ever thought of that in your own life? You get so bogged down in habits and things you're doing and things that are going on in your life. You stop praying. You stop reading. You stop fasting. You stop seeking counsel. You stop going to church every service. You stop singing. You stop praying at work. You stop. You stop. You stop. And before long, something inside you triggers. What's going on with me? I hope something triggers. If something ain't triggering, you've gone too long without an altar. But if something's triggering, if something, something's telling you, let's let go of the load, please don't hold on to something that's going to take you under. Please don't hold on to something that's going to take your family with you. Please don't hold on to something that says, I had a mansion built for you, but you just held on to that one thing too long, Brother Playle. You held on to it too long. I gave you an opportunity. I put you in a storm so you'd let go. How many of us never really knew the reason of the storm? We blame God for the storm. And when we come out the other side of the storm, we always come out. You notice that, right? 
He said, I'd never give you more than you can bear. Oh, how many of us really believe that scripture though? God, this is just too much. I can't take it. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm giving up. You lied to me. You told me you wouldn't give me more than I could bear. This is too much. Oh, come on. Be real. We all said those things. We have all prayed that prayer. We have all gotten real with God and told Him, I just think that you mistaken here. This is really the line and somehow we're past it. And we start really telling God where the line is. And He starts telling us, no, 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 no. The line's a whole lot farther ahead. But you'll never make it to the line if you continue to hold on to the things I've been telling you to let go of. Lust, you gotta go. Oh, thieving, stealing, gotta go. Lying, you gotta go. Oh, problems at home, you got to let go of them. Why? Because you're not going to make it through the real storm. You're not going to make it if you don't let go of them, praise God. Weights and anchors. Weights and anchors. Did you know that a, a ship in harbor, if they anchor down full, you've seen the ones in Seward, Brother David, covered in ice? They usually capsize. They usually do. And the thing is this, if we have anchors on board and we have weight on board, which one are we tossing over? The anchor or the weight? Sometimes we hold the weight, we toss the anchor thinking we can weather the storm, and we capsize because we're too top-heavy. So much going on in my head that I don't let go of, and pretty soon I'm top-heavy. Pretty soon I'm prideful. Pretty soon I'm arrogant. Pretty soon and I'm walking around like this with no foundation because I've held on to something God said let go of at an altar. How many times in the middle of a storm I thought I could cut an anchor free and hold on to my weight. I thought I can do this on my own. But pretty soon I'm capsizing. And we wonder, why am I going through this again? Why am I facing this same problem again? Why am I still having those thoughts? Why am I still held bound to this chain? Why, why, why? Because God told you to cut it loose. But something inside you don't want to cut it loose. Something inside you doesn't want to let go. It's familiar. It's comfortable. It's something I can hold on to. It's something that makes me feel good. But when the storm comes, your priorities better line up. Your priorities better be lined up in the middle of the storm or you will capsize. Praise God. They begin tossing stuff over. Left. Right, left, right. And pretty soon, what do you know they made? Okay, but. <laughs> what do you have to let go of to make it through the storm? What are you willing to let go of? What do you think I can make it with and I can't make it with? Because pretty soon before long, if I anchor down when I'm top heavy, okay, and the storm's pushing me, pretty soon I'm going to start to roll. And, and by then it's almost too late. So you cut the anchor that's holding you down, and now you come back, and you've still got all the stuff you held on to, and you weather the storm, and you weather the storm, and you kept hanging on to the stuff God told you to, to get rid of, but you held on to it. But the thing is, now you're without an anchor. Now you're without something that can hold fast to a foundation. Now you're without something that can dig its roots deep into, into a rock, into something, and keep you one day. And one day you'll come across a different storm. One day you'll come across a bigger storm. One day you'll come across a storm you didn't think could possibly happen to you. 
You didn't think your marriage could face this. You didn't think your ministry would ever come to that. You didn't think you'd fall to that. You didn't think you'd give in to that. Well, all of a sudden, you're facing a storm of all storms, and you go to throw an anchor, and there's nothing on the end of the chain because at one point in time, you thought it was okay to cut an anchor free and hold on to the stuff that God said get rid of. And now you're stuck. Now you're at the mercy of the sea. But it's not too late. You can still toss some junk over. You can still weather the sea. You can still weather the storm. But now you're being forced to make a move. Now you're being forced to get rid of stuff. It's either get rid of it or die. It's either get rid of it or lose my marriage. It's either get rid of it or lose my ministry. It's either get rid of it or the kids are gone. Why are we coming to those situations in our life? I can tell you right now on a Wednesday night, I'm not trying to preach hard, but God gave this message for me for somebody. And I can tell you, if you are at a crossroads in your life, if you are in the middle of a storm in your life, if you are in a situation, you're asking God why, start examining your heart. Start examining your own steps. Start examining your own conversation. Start examining the things that you dabble in and things you look at and things you give yourself over to. Start examining those things. And if you think that God would be okay with it, hang on to it. But if you think God would turn his head in shame and look at a cross and say, that's what I went for. That's what I died for. If it's one of those things, you need to cut it free. You need to cut it free. Oh, you speak big, brother Brad, but you don't know what I've you don't know what I'm tied to. You have no idea the hold. Oh, I'm sorry. I may not know what you're bound by. I may have an idea, but you don't know what I was bound by. You don't know what Brother Playo was bound by. You don't know what Brother Joe was bound by. You have no idea what God could set you free from. You have no idea the power that God, when he went to the grave, he went to the middle of the earth and the hell, and he grabbed the keys to the kingdom. When he grabbed those keys, he gave you power over serpents, power over problems, power over diseases, power over lust, power over things you think you'll never walk away from. I'm here to tell somebody tonight, make up your mind on a Wednesday night. Tonight I'm cutting some things free. Tonight I'm letting some stuff go. Come on, these altars are open. If you've got something in your life, I don't need to know about it. He don't need to know about it. She don't need to know about it. But let it free tonight. Let it free tonight. God is merciful. God is gracious. But don't frustrate the grace of God by holding on to something.